Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson. As always, joined by Jason Daphnis. Hey, Jason, what's up? Hey, uh, Matt. Mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, personally owes me at least $156 for towing my car without warning tonight. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing better than you are. That's the worst. I'm sorry, that, man. That milk toast, curly-haired son of a bitch. I hate that. Yeah. Man. That's, yeah, you got, your car got towed by <laughs> neoliberalism. Um, uh, so... <laughs> Uh, but, you know, we are going to get probably more political than usual here. We have a, a, a really great guest. Uh, they are a, um, a podcaster involved in politics, labor, pop culture writing. Um, Ilana Levin, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I was excited when you reached out to me. Yeah, no, I've, I've followed you on Twitter for a long time and always enjoy your tweets. So I, I know you've been looking to do more music stuff uh, in the podcasting realm. So I thought I'd reach out. And um, this is a good opportunity. Also, I think we're going to touch on a genre that we haven't covered really too much of at all. Probably the closest mm-hmm. we did a, a good uh, rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen episode with Greg Redoff, but I don't know if they're hair metal proper, um, but we are going to be talking about hair metal. Um, yeah. And I know that you've uh, thought about this genre a lot, written about it. And uh, I know most recently that it kind of came back to the pop culture lens a little bit um, through the Peacemaker show mm-hmm. uh, with John Cena. And that was a you know really fun show. And I thought the soundtrack really added to the kind of just gonzo aspects of that show. Um, so just uh, tell me a little about your relationship with this genre. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I'm about like five years too young slash too devoid of older siblings to be able to say that this was like the music of my youth. I, I, you know, I came of age with Nirvana and of course, coming of age with Nirvana means that the entire media apparatus is there to tell you how much hair metal sucks. Like I turned on TV yes. and I'm like, MTV, I have cable for the first time. I'm going to check out music that isn't stuff my parents introduced me to. Let's see what it is. MTV says that this genre of music that they themselves essentially created into a genre uh, sucks now. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. if we're serious people who like serious music, we like Nirvana now instead. Um, you yes. know, it's funny when you mentioned this being the podcast where we're talking about hair metal when Def Leppard, you know, predates hair metal being the inception of it as a genre, although obviously massive influence on it and released albums throughout the duration of the genre existing. And then yes. we have Cinderella who largely have an aesthetic association with it in terms of their fashion choices. Um, but certainly by the time they're doing the album that we're talking about, it's like, they have a lot of hair, but it's not even metal. It's definitely an electric blues album <laughs> with a lot of yeah. country influence. And, you but, know, I, yeah. <laughs> no, I just feel like hair metal is kind of one of those things like goth where, like, mm-hmm. none of the big goth bands would ever say they were say goth. It. Like, nope. Bauhaus and, or, you yeah. know, Susie the Banshees or The Cure. Nope. Like, they all deny being goth. And maybe Poison <laughs> said they were hair metal or something. But, like, I feel like hair metal is one of those classic things where, like, all the bands in the genre all say, like, well, no, we're something else. We're this or, well, you know, just rock or metal. Yeah, I mean, spe- speaking of my background, um, for context, I was very active in the DC and New York goth scene in the late 90s. And um, I used to write for Propaganda Magazine, which was like the goth magazine. And so, you know, high school me is horrified that adult me is on a podcast talking about how great hair metal is. Like, I have completely <laughs> ashamed myself for doing such a thing. Um, but I think that's important is like, realizing like this is so maligned we're, we're gonna like figure out what you know turn this tra- realize the the treasure from amongst this presumption of trash but the other right. thing about hair metal is that it's it's a term that to the best that we're able to 
it's super hard to pin down, but like nobody called themselves hair metal. It was a genre term ascribed to it after the fact, more or less. Uh, it was, this was just metal. And of course, this metal is coming out the same time as like really heavy shit like Venom and black metal and all these other music that sounds almost nothing at all like this. But yeah, people were just calling it metal. You know, I personally waver between just leaning into the camp of calling it hair metal versus calling it glam metal because glam metal is more accurate description of the core bands that we think of as being hair metal. Like guys like Rat, you know, they're doing the Mm -hmm. New York Dolls, but as heavy metal. That's right. Right. You're like, okay, well, that's glam rock and metal and glam metal. Um, But I also do like leaning into the sort of awkward, shameful dirtiness of like saying, yeah, this is hair metal. (laughs) Um, but right. it's true. Like it's important to realize that like, bands weren't calling themselves that. Um, and it's true. Bands historically in early inventions of genres, like either people super lean into their subgenre titles. Like if you're a hardcore band, you're like, we're all about the scene, hardcore. Uh, or if you're like anything else, you know, like people will ask Lemmy from Motorhead or so are you guys metal? Are you punk? And they're like, I'm a rock and roll band. And so, yeah, you know, yeah. Th- this is sort of like that. People just want to call themselves a rock and roll band. Um, and that term was used to encompass a range of artists, some of which, have, some of whom have a lot in common and others who have really nothing in common with, um, right. the sort of iconic artists of the genre itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wanted to talk to you, um, and I, I should have plugged this at the beginning. You have a couple of podcasts, Graphic Policy Radio, Deep Space Dive, which mm-hmm. is about Star Trek, but you're kind of analyzing, um, pop culture stuff through the lens of maybe like more left politics, yeah. feminism, things like that. So I'm, I'm curious, and I was trying to, I was kind of thinking about hair metal. I mean, I definitely grew up in a small rural town in like the, you know, I'm probably a little older than you, so the, you know, Stranger Things 80s. So this was mm. like older, bro- older brother music, you know yeah. what I mean? And then, you know, basically the first music I was really, except my parents, like classic rock. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah. Oh, and, interesting. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in small towns, there was really <laughs> no other kind of music was really popular, I don't think. Um, and so it, it seems, it, it's interesting that you're kind of drawn to this because and it has some sort of uh, odd contradictions to me. It, it's very, in general, music about like sort of like, you know, male desires and, you know, like freedom is sort of a big thing, but sort of just freedom defined as like, you know, not having a job, getting fucked up all the time and having a ton of sex. Right. Yeah. And, and, but also the bands themselves, you know, like kind of presented as you kind of mentioned the New York Dolls, like at some points almost, you know, androgyny verging on like trans in the case of maybe like poison stuff like that. Well, I, um, it's, it would say drag. Like they're not trying drag, to like yeah, be yeah, literally yeah, drag, seen yeah, as yeah, women, yes. but yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah this thing was just kind of a dichotomy between like sort of a macho viewpoint. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I was trying to get at. Um, yeah. And like, and also like, you know, it probably had more women fans than like punk or like a lot of yep. quote unquote more like progressive genres. So I don't really, this is just a lot of stuff I just threw out there, mm-hmm. but I'm just curious, like, you're thinking because like you think about these things through a political, you know, feminist lens and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like I, I, you know, I think that if I was of an age where I was going to concerts at the time this music was happening, it's hard for me to project whether or not I would be going to those shows, especially given that there was like so many, I could have also gone to see all the classic goth bands that I never got to see because <laughs> I was a little right, too right, young for yeah. that instead. But, um, you know, I don't know how I would have felt in some of those spaces. Right. But the reality is that, yeah, like, frankly, a lot of the music critic and conventional wisdom response and backlash against hair metal is sexist. While yes, like 
literal artists creating this music are themselves also often sexist. Um, the way people are talking about it being dumb and shallow, it, it's all the same stuff you'd say about why women suck. Oh, they care about their hair. You know, they're styling their hair. Like real artists don't care how they look. Excuse me. Some artists, you either care about how you look and you admit it or you pretend you don't care. I, everybody right. who is a performer is considering how they present themselves to an audience. And that is something that I took from my love of goth music and then apply to my, you know, appreciation of hair metal is like people are making choices and those choices are deliberate. Um, you know, and so, uh, I like, like, this was the this was the part of the metal, if you will, you know, space that had the most female fans in it. I think people assumed that women were into it because the men were hot, which is like so insulting, but also complicated. Um, and like it just all of it is a conversation that ignores the music itself. And the reality is, what hair metal or glam metal, whatever, what it is, is pop music with guitar solos. Of right. course, people like that. That's popular music, you know. Like this, this isn't. They're not. This isn't Venom. This isn't like extreme, extreme heavy, you know, heavy metal or something. Like this is extremely accessible music, especially a group like Def Leppard, for example, who are crafted some of the best pop music of the '80s. You know, by the time they're working on stuff like the album we'll be talking about today. Um, so I, you know, rather than trying to sort of extrapolate from the politics of the artists creating it, who are like. I mean, it's just all over the place and a mess. And I don't, I don't, I don't even really care in a certain point, especially sure. when you think about how many artists who consider themselves leftists have reprehensible politics themselves. Um, I think more about the politics of people's responding to it. That, that becomes a little more interesting to me. And, you know, mm -hmm. if you're looking at interviews with the artists and stuff, they'll talk about, um, like, you know, my, my girlfriend did the styling for this or that. Or um, I'm so I feel so bad. I'm blanking on her name. There was a penthouse centerfold model who was friends with, um, oh, God, who was it? She was friends with so white snake. Uh, no, no, you're thinking of a different thing, which I can talk about later. But like, she basically like helped promote cross promote some of the bands and like gave them fashion advice. And it's like you know they they are doing fashion and aesthetics for a female eye. Um, and that female audience, you know, included heterosexual people, queer people, a variety of, of you know, things. But, um, mm -hmm. but I, you know, go, it, it being really over the top and, it, and in leaning into the fact that they are doing a performance for you, uh, I find that to be more honest and entertaining than like pretending that you're playing in front of a brick wall and you didn't comb your hair, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, should we get into some music? Where would you like to start with Cinderella? Uh, I could bring it back to, to Peacemaker. There is, um, I wrote a piece about an educational piece for the youth, as it were, about the music um, about hair metal do, do, uh, that I wrote for an audience of people who uh, presumably were watching Peacemaker, but not really knowledgeable about the genre. And mm -hmm. um, in it, I specifically stated that Chris Smith is right. Tom Kiefer and the boys are like the perfect mix of blues and metal. I mean, to be clear, I, it's really more like blues and hard rock, but yeah. having conversations about what is or what isn't metal is a short way to make yourself lose your mind. So I'm not going to go <laughs> yeah. too far down yeah. that, that rabbit hole. But like, there's a lot of like Aerosmith in yes. here and ACDC, oh, God, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. Especially them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and for me, 
Uh, as I was developing my affection for the genre, Cinderella stood out right away because Tom Kiefer's vocals are fucking amazing. I think the only person who tops him is Axel, and I have a cat named Axel Rose, so that tells you where <laughs> I place him in the hierarchy of, of artistic talent. You know, Tom Kiefer is fucking amazing. He's so good, and um, I I loved their songs. Uh, I loved the Rolling Stones, like the entirety of the Rolling Stones, but if you, according to Spotify, my most listened to album usually is Exile on Main Street. And boy, these guys sure agree. That's a good one. Exile on Main yeah, Street. Yeah. That's a great album. So, yeah, yeah. It, you know, I, th- I think another piece of it that I have to bring to it, like coming at this second generation, it's not second generation. Like my parents don't know what this shit is. My parents were into Bob Dylan, but like, um, being someone yeah, who got you just into didn't this, have an older, you didn't have an older sibling. That I did was not. Like I did it. not. Yeah. Exactly. So getting into this on my own after the fact, more like I was cognizant of this stuff because, but I wasn't. I didn't really know about it. Getting into this mm-hmm. music after the fact, you know, I I come in it and I realize that if I don't try to judge it based on if it's metal, then suddenly the whole world opens up of how good it actually is. Like I know that I like, guess as a pretentious, you know, teenager. Being like Metallica's metal. This isn't metal. This is bad. It's like no, this isn't metal, but it's good. There's plenty of things that are good that aren't metal, Ilana. Um, and so I think uh, Cinderella is kind of right off the top of like, yeah, they're like being placed into an aesthetic grouping with some of these things, but that they're doing something else. I mean, their fir- their first album. I struggled so hard over which album to choose. You probably saw I went back and forth a million times yeah, between yeah. their debut album or the one we went with, um, which is their second sophomore album, Long Called Winter. Um, there is, you know, more of a traditional hard rock uh, fits in with the MTV Headbangers Ball crowd sound to that first album. But um, there, I just really fucking love a couple of the songs on this one that to the point where I decided I was going to do this one anyway, you know, but it, I, 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 this, I would rather do a greatest hits album for them. And I, I'm never one of those greatest hits albums people. Like I object. Nah. <laughs> I'm like, there's so many good B sides and there's so many good albums. Tra- and that is true. And that's also true of Cinderella, but like, it does kind of break my heart that I can't just talk about all of their, their best stuff across those albums. So. Well, where should we start? Um, I don't know. There's Gypsy Road that I think yeah, is a pretty good that was, rocker. That was, I think, the song that I first really fell for from them. Um, yeah, I love it. Let's rock out. But yeah, he's got that. I mean, I'm sure he was a fan of Brian Johnson from ACDC yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but I love that kind of just like, or Steve Marriott or people like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I love that kind of just like larynx shredding yes. kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, he mentions Rod Stewart as an influence, which I think is like really, really clear. Um, and Janis Joplin. And oh, yeah, I can see that. Right. And I, you know, I love a man who admits that he's influenced by the art of a woman because that does not happen often. And as much as he does sound like Brian Johnson, like I kind of think he sounds the most like Janice. Like the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, no, Janice is the closest analog, actually. Yeah, I mean, she had that bluesy kind of like and kind of shredding out the voice kind of thing. 
That's a great line. Who, who's to care if I grow my hair to the sky? Right? I love that line. Uh, I mean, all of their stuff is about being on the road and touring. Like, that's what they make songs yeah. about. Yeah. I was actually thinking about that. It was kind of an interesting, because that's a very common thing in, in, like, metal. You know what I mean? That kind mm-hmm. of, like, kind of the cowboy thing. Like, yeah. we're, we're cowboys on the range. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, it's kind of... Is it, I suppose the appeal to it to people like dudes that were like you know, twenty one and had like shitty jobs they hated like the idea of like you could just take off and you know, a different city every night kind of thing you know, and yet they also like talk about how how it's challenging but it's a romantic challenging thing versus like the unromantic challenging thing of you yeah. know, I I also think it, it should point out that like Bon Jovi was really central to them getting discovered and getting signed. And um, I think, you know, they're from Philly. They, there's like a Philly, New Jersey axis of hard rock um, that seems to have a greater interest in lyrics about work. Oh, yeah, I could see that. Like yeah. Skid, Row, Skid Row's songs are about like how much work sucks. John Bon Jovi is singing about how, how much work sucks. Obviously, and, it, and it all ties right back the, to like um, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Bon Jovi kind of had like Springsteen light kind of pretensions. Oh, uh, 100%. Bon Jovi is Van Halen plus Springsteen plus a little bit yeah. of country equals Bon Jovi. Like that. Yeah. that is what that is. Well, maybe you know. I think none of the LA bands ever worked. You know what I mean. So maybe the maybe the that's an interesting bands, like <laughs> that's an interesting point. I mean, I mean, getting by on that scene, like the amount of like handing out flyers and foot traffic you had to do, like absolutely counts as work. But it is not the same sort of work as yeah, like working in a factory, working yeah. at a rest stop, working at whatever. You know, um, totally. But yeah, but yeah, this man, I think it's the right song to hand off with because you can hear that voice and nobody, nobody sounds like him. Um, and he's singing his voice out and he's destroying himself. I, I'm a singer. Um, so I know like that's just fucking brutal. And it's interesting that today we've chosen two bands, Def Leppard and Cinderella, who both stand out for me as being outrageously good vocalists. Um, and also bands that I, as a singer, like don't cover because to me, I don't sound like they're singers and without that yeah. specific sound to me, there's like no point in covering them. You know, I cover yeah, Motley Crue. I cover Motley Crue, but I don't cover this. It's well, not worth it to Vin- me. Vince wasn't the, the strongest singer. He was say. not. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, me subbing in is fine. It. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm sure you're improving on it by far. Um, <laughs> have you seen Cinderella? I, I worry about, I wonder what that guy's voice is like now. Cause man, it's funny. You rough. should ask. Um, so I've not seen them. Um, he paralyzed. He woke. He literally woke up with a paralyzed vocal cord in like 1992 or something. Oh wow! Um, he's in, he has said that it is like a biological, like like nerve pinch. Like he doesn't he doesn't believe that this is a result of his singing. Um, I find that unfathomable. But he also is a trained vocalist, and I mean, so am I. But like, he's a much more trained vocalist yeah. than me. Um, he uh, went and gotten had surgery and he went and sought vocal coaching and worked on it for years and he can sing again and he sounds really good. He does not oh, sound like he did when he was doing this and killing himself, dying on every hill, but he sounds good and he's still worth listening to. 
I listened to one of his most recent songs he put out and I liked it. So I'm really happy that he's able to, to do oh, that. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah I, I always hear these guys and I'm like, dang, dude, that's, you're really stretching it. Plus I'm sure a steady diet of like alcohol and cigarettes, you know? Yeah, no, road. it's brutal. I mean, I don't think the, any of the, I had, it doesn't seem like these guys were particularly druggy, but just like being on the road and all that is, is rough for you. But yeah, no, when people are like, but every people are like, oh, Vince can't sing like that. I'm like, of course Vince can't sing like that anymore. Have you heard him sing? He had no technique and was shrieking. That will wreck your voice. And I, when I say Vince, I mean Vince Neil from Motley Crue. And like, I appreciate like, uh, you know, as these artists who've died for us, so to speak, I, I appreciate on a certain level. But then I also got to respect guys like David Gahan or Dave Vanian, who sound exactly now like they did back in the 80s because they sing across a range of seven notes that are right in the sweet spot of their range. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. sound gorgeous on those notes and they stick to those notes, but it is a much more serene, less powerful kind of singing. And it's great for their songs and it would not be great for the music that these other guys are making. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have one that I wanted to hear that I don't think I was familiar with that I kind of ended up really liking. Um, I don't know. Do you like The Last Mile? I do. I love, that's my second favorite is The Last Mile. Oh, good, yeah. yeah. This one was just one that kind of like, you know, I remember some of this, obviously. We have the videos for that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But this one I thought was good. That kind of classic chorus pedal, like guitar thing. Mm This is pretty ACDC. Oh, yeah. I hear early Aerosmith more than ACDC, though, actually. Oh, um, yeah, I can see that, too, yeah. I mean, I also prefer early Aerosmith, so that is maybe part of what's going on for me, but... That's some Southern rock. Yeah. I really like these harmony vocals here. So good. The backing vocals, yeah, really. The other thing I like about this, I forgot, is like, like they uh, these bands had good like pre-choruses and like bridges, yes, which I kind of miss do. in music. That matters so much. It seems to me like too. it's a chorus, but the, yeah, people don't really do that anymore. Why not? I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I'm terrible about I I try regularly to um, get really excited about contemporary bands and it's not too common um, but I, I, I look at it analytically like the pro I know the problem is me you know but then it's things like that <laughs> well, like, where know. is the missing chorus like why isn't there a pre-chorus like where's like I well, there are no harmonies in anything I know why there's no you know additional studio musicians on things because nobody has money but like yeah where did the yeah. pre-chorus go i don't know yeah i really wonder in some of these backing vocals like on this song i i'm yeah. sure they were probably using some studio backing vocalists on some of this stuff they had to be well we'll talk about that more when we talk about def leppard but um oh yeah because that was always part of def leppard's thing was that they they like don't do that like that it's the band doing their own backing vocals um, yes they take pride in that i think they were exceptionally good at that yes they were many um 
Yeah. But yeah, this is I just I, I dug this one. Um This song is super is like so southern rock and it's beautiful. There's like an open strummingness to it. I can't quite describe it, but I don't know at what point uh, for the next song we do, but um, the 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 huge hit off this also brings up kind of another like big mm. element of hair metal, which was the uh, the power ballad. Yeah, um, and and this is I think one of the classics of the uh, that that I, I just love the word power ballad. It was such a great <laughs> like turn of phrase just to make it's like. <laughs> just, like, yeah, we know it just what felt it like means. it was all designed to make dudes feel okay about liking these songs. Like, it's oh, not a that's ballad. interesting. It's like, it's like a power ballad, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like when they when you when you see like dumb things like soap that are like it's like soap for men and oh, stuff like yeah, that. Okay. You know what yeah, I mean? It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's a power ballad. <laughs> It's different kind. from a traditional ballad in the sense that they're more likely to have distorted and amplified guitars with them. Like, sure, a yeah, a lot of them build. This yeah. one not so much, but a lot of them build to like the kind of the rock. Like the Stairway to Heaven yeah. was probably like a proto prototype of that or whatever. But uh, I just thought it's just a funny phrase to me. I've always loved it. Yeah, but this is um, this is like probably their biggest hit. I would imagine. It was, um, I- don't don't know what you got till it's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this one? I I, I think this is a great uh, example of that genre. So I don't love it actually. Mm. I like one of really? the things I was working on with myself, like in preparation for this, was like, can I come to a point where I like that song more than I do? And like, I can I appreciate it. Like any any vocal performance that Tom Kiefer does, I'm going to be like, man, listen to him sing. Gosh, damn, <laughs> he's got a gift. Um, mm-hmm. But I I don't love the song. Um, oh, really? Interesting. I don't. I I am weird with power ballads. Um, I I think, you know, here's a thought. If I liked singing this, I would probably be more like into it. Um, so he might be at a disadvantage in my general avoidance of covering Cinderella, ergo resulting in me not because singing up. Here's here's an important thing for I don't know for folks who don't really sing. Singing a power ballad is very pleasurable. It usually. Uh, lets you take like big breaths and it has a pacing through it and you get to really show off. There's all kinds of moments in it where you'll sing it and people will look at you like, Oh my God, I can't believe you just did that. And you're like, I actually like, that was actually an easy one, but in a way that you can't tell it's easy. Like, you know, Um, or um, they're just, they can be very like, so singers love singers love doing them, especially like, it's easier on the voice in some ways uh, because often you're singing in a less mannered, more natural voice for them. Um, so, and obviously they also were, they sold like so much more. I, I don't under, I don't understand why necessarily like power ballads seem to sell more than the rocking songs. I, I wonder if a piece of it had to do with there needing to be something to put on for the slow dance at your high school, maybe, but um, you know, I, so I, I, I appreciate it. Like I do, I, there's no bad songs on this album. I don't hit skip on right. anything, but it's not one of well, my favorites. Let's play it. I would say if, if an average person on the street knows one Cinderella yeah. song, this yeah. is probably the song that they know. So it's, it's part of the Cinderella lore, if nothing mm-hmm. else. Some good old Yamaha DX7 strings. <laughs> do you know They're who the producer is of this though? No, I don't. It is Andy Johns. 
Oh wow! Oh, so they really went for like the the seventies thing. Yep. He yep. For and those who know, Eddie Johns and Glenn Johns' brother were very famous. Classic rock, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Stones, Stones. Yeah. I mean, he worked. Th- he worked on Exile, and of course, Exile is like probably the favorite album of most of the people playing on this album. So right. And this is a less glitzily produced album than the predecessor. Um, so, like, they they do know that they're coming from a more... It's funny saying that over this song, which is the most glitzy produced song on the album, but overall. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, it's definitely got those 80s drums and things, but it, it yeah. it's, yeah, it's not... Like, the guitar sounds are a little more, like, natural. Get your lighters out. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is the sound of Taco Bell removing the loaded potato griller from their menu nationally. Oh, I'm sorry, Jason. Are you okay? I'll be okay. I don't. I don't it even know what that means. But takes so long. <laughs> You've lived a little bit more of a charmed life. I've eaten a lot of loaded potato grillers in my time, and I didn't know what I had until it was gone. Yeah. It's funny because I, I actually prefer the other ballad. Um, on it to this one, which is Coming Home. Oh, that's a good one. We should listen to that, too. All right. I'm not going to make you suffer anymore. I, it's not suffering. Like, I was like, there's no <laughs> bad songs on this album. It just yeah, isn't yeah. like my... But yeah, I, you know, people really love their power ballads. I, um, I like heavy music, and so I don't need a respite from it. Like, I, I don't... Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, oh, you need it to break it up. I'm like, I don't need it to break anything up. I don't... Like, it's not necessary for me. Um... Especially, right. like, for a lot of the uses of, like, this music, you're, like, driving your car, you're lifting weights, you're having sex. Right, like, I don't yeah, need yeah. a slow song thrown in there. Like, I don't... <laughs> it's not necessary. Like, it's... Like, you know? Like, what's yeah, it, what, yeah, what, yeah. what is this music for, right? Right, um, yeah. So... I think your school dance thing and just, like, making out in cars thing is probably close to the truth. Um, but we can. You want to? What do you want to hear next? You want to hear "Coming Home"? You want to hear a rocker? Let's let's. Oh, I'm torn. I, I want. I would love to do every do song on this. I feel like okay, yeah. Let, let's do "Coming Home" as a contrast to a, a power ballad Lana prefers. This is a good one too. I noticed this is being a, a good one as well. The yeah, rare... these all are about the road, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> now that you said that, I'm noticing it. Like... Man's gotta make his way. And they lived on the road. Oh my god. So are you He's doing some clean singing also on this, which you don't really get much of. Oh yeah, it's true. Yeah. Clean vocals are rare for him, but you can tell here he sounds great on them. This one's got a little more pep in its step, yep. too. Oh, now, he's, now he brings you the, see? So now he I brings guess the for, heat. For folks who are unfamiliar with what the concept of like clean vocals are, like remember the... God, I'm really dating myself. Dream On by Aerosmith. You know how it sounds like there's two different Stephen Tyler singing, guys? Yeah. That yep. first part of the song is him doing clean vocals. 
And then the later part, he's doing reinforced falsetto, which is a feat of incredible physical prowess that most mortals cannot attempt or will die. <laughs> yeah, this is a, I, this is a, this is probably a better shine song. Shine on me. Like the shine on me. This, like, is this like, let a light. That's a real stone. That's a, yep. that's a stone's <laughs> chord change. Really a stone's chord change. It, yes, exactly. It's like so incredibly a rolling stone's chord change. Um, and then it gets really Beatles-y near the end. Or actually kind of maybe a little almond. You know what? No, not it. This. This is Beatles. Oh, yeah, totally. And then it comes from this into Almond Brothers. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, kind of dicky bats kind of thing. So it's just really the 60s right here, right now happening. Um, And I love that. And even the guitar tone in that moment is like, okay, kids, Beatles, like psychedelic mm-hmm. period. Um, yeah, yeah, that little kind of phase thing or whatever. Yeah. So I'm a sucker for that. If you want to hear something really different from what we've heard so far, Fire and Ice is like yeah. ba- basically a Dawkins song, but with Cinderella. Like if you're always looking for like, if it sounds more like there's stuff from the other, from their other album, definitely feels, well, I'll talk about it when you put it on. More metal. More metal yeah. and less hard rock, I guess. Yeah, let's do Fire Nice. Fire Nice is such a like hair metal song type concept. Too. Yeah, no, everything. <laughs> I mean, this is so dark and like I, yeah. Do you guys know Dokken at all? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't. I know Dokken. Yeah, I mean, I'm they're not like one of my favorite bands. Sure, sure. Me, but I, I, I'm, I'm rock. You, you get where Dokken. I'm coming from on this, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. No, this is the most metal song I would say on the record for sure, and the least like '60s, '70s kind of vibe. But I like this one too. It's good. Yeah. And it's the sort of song where, like, you will hear this in your head later. Like, you might not realize it, but this actually does like get in you there. Um, oh, I have a note here about Second Wind is another one which will totally just come up in my mind randomly. Um, like it actually has a whole section in it which is like just full on deep purple. Speaking of blues and hard rock, um, cool. Yeah, let's if you, let's uh, we can kick over to Second Wind. Yeah. I mean, even that opening rip actually kind of reminds me of um, Highway Star by Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah. Just one of, yeah, it actually does, yeah. That's That song by Deep Purple is one of the great songs <laughs> in the history yeah, of music. That, no, I love Deep Purple. I'm, I'm, um, I'm a big... Uh, and Deep Purple is great live still. Big rain, I'm a bigger Rainbow fan probably than Ooh, Deep Purple. Ooh, I like Rainbow. I like. Yeah, I mean, Dio, talk about a good singer, yeah. you know. Oh, absolutely. I got to see him on that Heaven and Hell tour. Oh, yeah. Um, and I saw him at a club in like 
probably 99, so it was like the low ebb of his career. Yeah. And it was like that that big of a place. It was pretty sweet. But he played it like it was like an arena. Here, I want to listen to this bit. One second. It's not quite there. I'm ruining it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that start and stop and like shifting it like it's like downshifts almost like yeah like, yeah i really love it this is a very like driving like power car kind of song yep. you know i mean i don't actually know how to drive but to my perception of the experience of automobiles <laughs> yes yes eh, driving's not that great it's a great it's like it's, it is very much like it lives in deep purple, but it's not like a straight up copy of anything, you know? Um, no, no. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing also is like, I really appreciate about um, Tom Kiefer will talk about the importance of blues artists, like, and, you know, like learning from them and stuff like that. There's a cool interview with him, an American blues musician, I should people might want to check out. But, um, and I should believe for folks who might not know, he's like, he's the writer, he's the singer, he's also like the lead guitarist, basically. So he's like doing it all, you know? I mean, okay, the other guys in the band are great, don't get me wrong, but like he's, he's, he's like a big talent doing a lot of stuff on this. Um, like he's definitely, it's his band. It's, yeah, it's his band. Um, what's the, oh, uh, I suppose at some point we got to switch gears to Def Leppard, but you mm-hmm. mentioned blues. I don't. Would you want to do like the first song, just because that's got kind of the most? Yeah, do it. Go for it. Yeah. Explo- it uh, is, the bad seamstress blues, and it is a weird. I'll, I'll say this when you begin it, but like, it is a weird. Oh. Sorry. Here we go. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty just like, you know, blues blues. Yep. And how bold is it to kick off your album with this when you full know full and well that your first single is going to be Gypsy Road, right? Like, that's bold. Yeah. I mean, he this does move like into Aerosmith. that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Also, I, I feel like people my age, whatever that age may be, tend to not know, like, early Aerosmith like we only know their comeback if you haven't listened to their early stuff it sounds and it's very little in common musically with their comeback and um, even if you have whether you like their comeback or don't like their comeback it's almost irrelevant go check out their early stuff it's like it's very different you might like it and not have heard it before yeah I picked up a used vinyl copy of Rocks Mm. and I mean I knew Aerosmith for sure from Classic Rock Radio but like man that one was I think it's because like that doesn't have a ton of songs that were like super beat to death yeah, exactly. On classic rock radio. Like classic rock radio ruins up. music. Classic rock radio yeah. has a list of ten songs. It plays them to death to the point where you can't even like or appreciate 
beautiful genius music and it acts like every band has two songs which is just not true like even the most quote-unquote one-hit wonder um hair metal band has more than two songs it's very rare for me to find a band that only has two songs oh yeah for sure i like that little backing vocal thing yeah uh... But, you know, like, this is, yeah, this for some people, like, this could be their introduction to, like, music that is very clearly, like, this is blues. Um, I mean, it's interesting to think about. Certainly wouldn't have been true for, for me if my own exposure to music, but. Um, yeah, I feel like blues doesn't have a very good reputation anymore. Or I don't think people really check for it. It's weird. I don't, like, it's, it's, um. I mean, I don't know. People definitely, I think, are mostly aware of the sort of, like, third-generation recycled stuff. And that's, like, legit. But it makes it makes me sad that people don't know any of yeah, the origins of like, it. You know, like rib, rib fest blues kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's... There was a... I th- What was that? What's that? Oh, there was, like... It's, like, one of the Comedy Central spoofs. That does like a spoof of a cop show. Did a really funny bit. Oh, Reno nine one one. No, no, it's um, fuck. You know what? Oh, whatever. It'll come. There's at least some piece of popular culture that does a really good spoof of the difference between hipsters listening to to artists that that sound like Sunhouse and like the Rib guys like listening to. (laughs) Yeah. Blues is a huge thing. Encompasses a lot of things, and you know, if you like music from rock music from the late mid to late 60s and on it's significant to you i I love when you're like playing something you're like oh shit this is what this is from like and that happens all the time um this is a good guitar solo you mentioned guitar solos earlier yeah this is a good guitar solo um it's important to me like i there's lots of there's solos in all of this stuff but like it's not about how fast you can play it's not that kind of guitar solo it's musical. Yes. Yeah, it's not super shredder or anything. No, and I, I um, mean I love Van Halen, but like everything has its place, you know. Right. Um, is there anything else before we switch gear to Def Leppard? You wanted to look um, here. No, I guess that's. I guess that's good. We can do it, Def Leppard. Cool. Oh, that's we just finished. <laughs> it's like the big rock ending. I love yeah. it. That was perfect timing. Thank you, Cincinnati. Um, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna switch gears to a, a very different record in many ways. Actually, a pretty different record from almost any other record. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, you know, obviously, you know, was aware of this growing up and everything, but, um, cause it was enormous. Um, but it was like a few years ago at Target, it was like an end cap and they had like the remastered CD was like eight bucks. And I was like, Oh my God, I should just buy it. And then I kind of got like, I left it in my car for a long time when I still had a CD player hmm. and it was like, I kind of got obsessed with this record. Um, it's, this is Def Leppard hysteria. Um, this is, um, Def Leppard and they're, uh, well, really, he needs to be talked about really as a member of the band, uh, um, Robert John Mutt Lang. 
Lang, uh, he, yeah. He was a South African uh, producer. Um, he's been responsible for like three of the literally biggest selling albums of all time, ACDC Back in Black, which I looked up as 50 million. Uh, his then wife, a wife for like I think a decade at least, Shania Twain, mm-hmm. uh, Come On Over, which sold 40 million. And then Def Leppard Hysteria, this record clocking in at a mere 20 million albums sold worldwide. Um, there's an, a pretty amazing uh, um, on Pluto TV, which is a, I, I love Pluto because it's a random just stuff. Um, but uh, there's a, a classic albums on this, which I just rewatched. And uh, basically this album, you know, and, and you should, you should talk about a little bit about Def Leppard, you know, prior to this. Cause I, I think you're right that they weren't hair metal. I think by this time they kind of are heavy hair metal, but they yeah. kind of became the, like the apex, like, the know, apex like predator Wilson. of the <laughs> yeah or like you know brian wilson like kind of uh beach boys oh, of yeah. like of uh, the beach like boys of hard incredibly rock yeah. produced you know or i think is they i think there i read once a quote that they were like their goal was like we're gonna make the heavy metal thriller by michael jackson like that was the goal and I, they probably largely succeeded but talk a little bit about Def Leppard because they do go back Mm-hmm. to some other scenes and some other things. I really this. view Def Leppard as the bridge between what we call the new wave of British heavy metal, which was bands like Priest and Maiden, um, and then hair metal. Um, most of the core bands that we would call hair metal are American. Def Leppard is obviously British. They like, have the flag on everything. Um, and they, I think that, you know, they, they're coming a lot from Slade and like actual UK glam, glam music um, in their early work. You know, it's funny, my two favorite Def Leppard songs are not on that album. Um, so I was like, oh, I don't, I'm not going to get to talk about them, but like, I, too bad. You're going to have to deal with at least a little bit of it. But, um, you know, I, I think like for me, the song that typifies like the wonderful genius perfection of their early work is Saturday Night High and Dry, which is a fucking beast. And I, That's a good one. It, it might end up being one of my most played songs of the year. I just like hit repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, and then Photograph, which is like one of the perfect pop songs of the 80s, a tremendous vocal performance. Um, you can't sing that, like you will die. It requires large octave jumps and a massive range um, to actually sing it well. Like I know how to cheat stuff. And when I cheated, it, just, it isn't worth it. You know, like if you're not going <laughs> to, if you're not going to do the acrobatics to get from point A to point B in your yeah. range, it's not worth singing. So um, but yeah, like so obviously, yeah, Joe Elliott is a great vocalist. The band took great pride in the fact that they sang their own backing vocals. They have like they have a they have like a vocal stack going, like the Beach Boys, you know. Um, and um, yeah, a friend of mine who's like the biggest Def Leppard fan in the world, um, Eric Cleefield, always talks about how a lot of their sort of style goes back and forth with um. British football matches, like the way the audience chants go. So of course that's, well, we'll talk about that when we get to pour some sugar on me, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so Def Leppard, you know, it predates a lot of that stuff. And um, I think that's really a lot, the earliest stuff was a lot more in line with stuff like Slade, which by the way, Americans, I'm American, but I just, speaking of my fellow countrymen or whatever, like you should check out Slade. Slade's fucking amazing. And it's like everybody in England, is like the most popular band in America. It's like, who? Did they have that Christmas yeah, song? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, they did. Yeah. But also, <laughs> they had that um, one. Uh, they had that one song. I think it was a hit. It was like a late, way later though. It was like a kind of a '80s thing or something. Oh, that, that country novelty like song. A, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. So, 
and you know, I kind of agree with you in a weird way. Like, I don't even these aren't even like necessarily my favorite Def Leppard songs, but there's just something about this album and like this is sort of like incredibly like hyper realized, like pristine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's just like this album sound like like Cinderella is a good sounding record. Obviously, like you know, Andy Johns is like a great producer for sure for like rock and roll. This just is, this almost sounds like it's in like 4K. You know what I mean? Compared, yeah. like it's just so focused and like slaved over. And for people that don't know, Zelma had extremely. I'm just going to regurgitate some of the thing I just watched, but um, mm-hmm. extremely difficult gestation period. You know, I think I think they so Pyromania is probably like 83, 84, and then they were supposed to come up with this right after. They they bring Mutt Lang, who produced Pyromania, the previous album was not available. They bring in Jim Steinem, who is um, famously, um, you know, a meatloaf Meatloaf. songwriter and producer guy. Did not go well um, at all. They were unsatisfied with it. I think they kind of stopped doing that. Then Rick Allen, the drummer, which has, you know, become kind of a joke, but it's actually really horrible, (laughs) um, was in a car accident. He, their drummer loses his arm. So then they're kind of like, what do we do? They eventually kind of create this electronic drum kit where he can play like, drum triggers with his feet so like if you hear like kind of fills like a typical kind of like you know 80s like to do to do to do to do kind of fill like probably like the snares his hand and then he's doing those like toms like with his feet which is mm-hmm. pretty amazing um and then they brought back mutt lang to to do it they kind of scrapped what they had he didn't like all their songs so they started writing new stuff with him and just basically this almost became this kind of like i don't want to say chinese democracy or like <laughs> smile by the beach boys but like it, you can. It's just, this album it's, is like it's in there. Yeah, it's incredibly <laughs> slaved over, and I think you can hear like every like. There's nothing off the cuff on this. There's nothing that just happened. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure if there's ever a guitar line, there was probably five guitar lines before that that they scrapped. You know what I mean? It's like I don't know. It's kind of a. I just I kind of became obsessed with this. Is sort of like this like almost like kind of to me like the the apex of like the '80s production style that like super yeah. glossy like high end everything's like super you know, saturated, like chorused and, you know, um, so I don't know, I'm trying to think of what would, would best like kind of typify that out of this. Um, gosh, you know, maybe, maybe animal would be a good place to oh, start. I love animal. Beautiful. This is one of the kind of hits. Well, you know, that's the other thing. This is kind of like, it is like thriller where like, there's more hits on this album than album tracks. Like if you mm. go through the playlist, like there's like almost all these songs I think were like singles and stuff. Um, but but Animal was I think kind of a one of the I think it was one of the first ones. Anyway, but this is a great one. It kind of gets you into like the the Def Leppard sound on this album. This song is so beautiful, and the guitar sound, I never thought about it until we were preparing for this. But on certain tracks, I hear the echo of The Cure. That's so funny. I was going to bring, yes. There's a lot of non-metal 
guitar sounds on this for a metal album. Oh yeah, like way more clean tone and like. But this is all like yeah. reverb and like if and like, I mean the, the the most the Cure song isn't this one, but like I was just struck by. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Or like I hear some U two the edge exactly. in places. Okay, um, yeah, no, like U two is all over the guitars. Um, Hysteria, Hysteria to me sounds like a U two song, basically. Yeah, we'll have to listen to that one. That's a good one too. Um, but there's a dreamlike quality to it. This is a great example of how an album can be produced to the fucking teeth and it's still good. Like I come from like a space where we thought anything that like overproduced was terrible, and like now I'm someone who listens to prog rock. Like what even happened to yeah. me? But um, but this is so <laughs> yeah. produced, and they just did such a good job, you know. Yeah, it's just everything is so deliberate. Like there's no And then here you're getting it. That's a that's a great like you were talking about the Def Leppard vocals thing. Yeah. They have a very very distinctive like great harmony vocal sound that's that's I don't think anyone else sounds like them. No. And people don't try. I mean I vocal harmony uh, is one of the things I love most about music. Now, I'm also like the biggest Stooges fan. I'm not saying it's a prerequisite, mm-hmm. but like an easy way to get me to love of rock music is to actually put work into the vocals and to actually do vocal harmony. You know, I grew up with kind of with Crazy Stills and Nash and Young, and like so mm-hmm. that's always something that's like in and and as a singer, I like singing with other people. You know, um, but I I, lo- I love hearing their voices together. And um, oh, I have to share a funny anecdote about. Uh, guitar player, um, one of the guitar players. Um, wow, my brain just fell out my ear. Uh, Phil Collin. Um, he, uh, a friend of mine, is like his guitar, like works at like a high end guitar place that he goes to, and like works on his oh, equipment. Okay. Phil Collin plays with the largest, most rigid guitar neck and the largest, most rigid guitar strings known to man, and is like. It's like, I don't know why you would do this to yourself, but I guess it works for him. <laughs> um, yeah. If you look at him, the guy's fucking shredded at age, whatever he is. So I'm like, yeah, yeah I guess I saw a picture him with be. his shirt off. He's like 65. I'm like, <laughs> like Jesus, what? dude. Like, well, yeah. <laughs> Playing the guitar neck like that it probably helps. Um, yeah. I think some people think you get a better tone on stuff yeah. with that. And yeah. it's more stable. And it's more um, reminiscent of playing an acoustic. Um, yeah, you could have like strong hands. But God, I can't even. Well, my hands are a mess anyway, so. The start and stop on the harmony coming in. This song is so beautiful. I don't know if you guys remember the music video at the zoo. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I, I they played they played parts of the videos in the thing that I just watched. You I, know, we, yeah, we didn't that. talk about MTV as much as like we really should. Like MTV is the reason why people think this and Cinderella are the same genre. Like having heard Cinderella and then having heard this, like the the thing that this, this music has in common is that they're guitar rock. That's all. Right. That's yeah. the only certain, thing. Yeah. And, and the same people liked them. You know what I mean? I think like the audience was the same largely. Yeah. I, um, you know, I mean, although plenty of people like who like heavy music, like to pretend that they didn't like Def Leppard, like all these people like lying about what their actual tastes were, you know, mm-hmm. like own it, own it motherfuckers. Yeah. But, um, um, 
But yeah, like oh, MTV, like the video, Def Leppard's videos were like Def Leppard put a lot of work in on the videos. They had very cinematic videos. Um, and uh, like, I mean, a theme video, basically. So, yeah. Um, let's see. I want to hear uh, this is a kind of a not one of the hits, but I think this is good. And this had a cool part in the documentary when it was going over like a lot of the. Uh, we're going to play God, Gods of War. Yes. Oh, good. Um, I, this is like. Yeah. Kind of weirdly political for like kind it's of ex- a, a it's ex- hair metal it, it band. It is a yeah. protest song. Yeah, and yeah, it has and like good lyrics. I mean, and I'm a pretty tough critic of that. So yeah, but they 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 were in the studio and they were like just having the vocals like playing on the chorus and like they were so they were doing stuff where they were like they were doing harmony vocals and they were sampling themselves and like kind of triggering their own vocals as like samples and sometimes using a thing called a harmonizer to like pitch down. That's where they get that kind of like. Like we'll hear on um, pour some sugar on me like that all like exaggerated low kind of thing. But um, it was kind of amazing like the the amount of care that went into like the the backing vocals on this song. Um, and this also has like another thing that they they use on this album quite a bit, which was unique for the genre is sampling, mm-hmm. um, which was you know largely done in like hip hop and like you know industrial type stuff. Um, but but they do a fair amount of sampling of of like news in this case or, or yeah. even their own music. So let's hear this one. When I heard the Reagan sample, I had to Google what conflict it was from because, like, I know Reagan's voice when I hear it, but I couldn't remember which exact misguided military action it was from. Um, and then it was Thatcher. Like, I, I don't know her voice by heart, but I could tell it was, you know? Right. I'm glad they didn't just put it all on our shitty government. They also put it on theirs. Oh, and also to your point about kind of like more new wave post-punk stuff. Mm-hmm. This might be the song, but Phil Collin basically showed like one riff that he was doing in a song was basically just like a adapted um, message in a bottle by the police, which Ooh. he really liked. But there's like enough guitar layers where you couldn't tell. It might not be the song, but it's on one song. Oh, I hear that. The message in a bottle. Yeah. Yeah. I could. It could be this. But there's definitely some goth and cure, the cure feel to to this one musically at yeah. parts. They, they seem like they might have had a little broader listening than, um, yeah. like than some of their contemporaries. I fully believe that Def Leppard listened to The Cure. I don't believe that The Cure listened to Def Leppard, and they probably mm-hmm. were douches about it. But Def Leppard definitely listened yeah. to The Cure. I can tell. I can tell. But the lyrics, um, I'm... There ain't, there ain't gonna be heroes. There ain't gonna be anything. That's a good <laughs> lyric about nuclear yeah, yeah. war. Like, A-plus, guys. A-plus. Yeah, that could be like a hardcore lyric. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Although... Yeah, I think there's a message in the bottle. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Thinking about Ain't, though, I want to... I want curious about your thoughts on this. Like, I am... Um, they sing with an American accent that kind of sounds to me like a California accent. And it's interesting because British bands had kind of largely moved away from that by then, you know. Um, did they yeah. talk about that at all? I'm curious. Um, well, they talked about the fact that, which I wasn't really aware of, is that like until this album, they weren't like anything in England. They sold like Ooh. no records in England ever until this. Um, I mean, I think they would just go over and play like, you know, like mm-hmm. they'd play, you know, sold out arenas in the US and go back and play like, large clubs or small like theaters there so 
I think they might have just been like kind of playing to like where the you know people were, but but I guess they were doing it from the beginning too. So yeah. I don't know if they just viewed it as like America was like more of a. But I suppose when they were coming up, though, you know, England was probably much more in, engaged with punk and you know hard rock. Probably maybe wasn't selling it. Like America, like hard rock, is very like and metal is well, very durable. You know, my my only thought about this, which is just a wild extrapolation, is we know they like the Beach Boys, obviously. The Beach Boys are hella Californian. They don't yeah. sing with California accents, though. But I wonder if there's a certain amount of romanticization of California, like musically, aesthetically, in some way, maybe that might contribute to his enunciation sounding that way. And look, you know, actual Californian. Please tell me if I'm wrong in what I'm hearing. But I, to me, as like an as like the most like New York DC person imaginable, like it sounds like California to me. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, this is the part like there's all these ba 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 kind of things in the background. Mm. It's really it's cool when you when I when I heard it. It's like if you pay attention to it, there's a lot of different layers that like you don't. And the other thing I like about this too is like there's not really like um there's not really like guitar soloing in the sense that most bands did it. Like there's guitar breaks, but it everything feels like. Like, I feel like every guitar part in this is, like, written out, like, specifically, mm. like, to, you know what I mean? Like, there's no one's just, like, jamming, you know? It's very targeted. It's... Yeah. Yeah. They've got great guitars. All right, what, we should keep moving here. This is, the song is a lot of... This song is we a we lot have to talk about Rocket, because Rocket is, like... Yes, yeah, Rocket's, Rocket's, Rocket's cool. Rocket gets played on heavy metal radio. Well, sorry, hair metal radio a lot. Um, and it gets played on VH1 Metal Mania a lot. It's really out there. Also, in Rocket, his hair looks really good. That's like, I think, <laughs> Joe Elliott's hair's best moment, which is funny because Joe Elliott's hair's worst moment is from their most popular song, which is on this album, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, he had a good head of hair, though. He was nice. He had a good hair. He still has good hair. Um so this was an interesting one too. Like, so the drums here, this was another, like, like these guys are pretty interesting. He talked about making this is that he'd heard, um, this has kind of a Burundi oh, like, drum beat. Okay. And, I'm so sorry. And so he, he like started this song. He heard this song. It was kind of a, not a novelty song, but it was kind of this Burundi drumming. Where's, I don't know. Okay. Adam and the ant. Okay. Sorry. I literally yeah, wrote, yes. I wrote a text. I wrote a message to you and deleted it. Cause I'm like, well, we'll just talk about it on the show. Um, I'm. I felt. I feel so validated hearing that this was deliberate because part of me was like playing this up against the rock music that I listen to that has Burundi drums and being like, it feels like this to me, but maybe I'm. Yes. But like, it no. isn't like exactly the same. So, Adam, the best example I think for like people listening to like Burundi style drums during in a pop music, Amer- Western pop music context, would be the song um, "Dog Eat Dog" by Adam and the Ants, which yes, is incidentally a fucking amazing song. Um, and yeah. I heard those similarities when I was playing it this time with the drums, and I was like. I feel so validated that this was deliberate. You've made no, me feel very it's proud really, of myself. It's, it's actually really very, very deliberate because, um, so at this time, like while they were starting to make this album, they'd all kind of gotten like four track cassette players when those were kind of becoming more common and available. Mm-hmm. And he literally, there's a song called Burundi Black, which was this Burundi song that kind of hit the British charts. I think, I mean, I think it was kind of a viewed as a novelty song, but I'm sure that's where Adam Ant heard it. And um, he literally made a tape loop. So he wrote the demo oh. to this off of a tape loop of this Burundi song that had hit the pop chart. So like, it's like when you hear Adam Ant, it's like explicitly like that's exactly they were they were listening to the same 
thing. Um, and it's kind of just, it's like, it's 1971. Thing yeah. I'm trying to like describe it's like a roll. Um, but you'll hear rocket in or yeah, like, um, bow wow wow. The the, yeah, the the other yeah. new wave band basically stole Adam Ant's uh, rhythm section for well, Malcolm McLaren stole it to give to Bow Wow Wow and so it's also in a lot of their songs as well. Yeah, but you'll kind of hear it's, it's got this specific kind of drum roll and tom kind of thing. And here's a lot of sampling again. Like some of this has got a war backwards. I think they said. But again, like use of samplers was not done in metal either, you know, mm-hmm. by and large, there were some examples of it. But. Yeah. Like you might have like a clip from a movie and then eventually metal began to use tons of samples from movies and stuff later on, but that kept coming through industrial music first. But yeah. Again, um, that, that tone, you're go. right. I mean, that tone could really be like a, a, a new wave band tone. So I'm glad that UK embraced it because UK is new wave music. I mean, yeah. new wave is UK music. So at least they're like, oh yeah, no, we like this. That's a guess. That is yeah, your taste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess they got huge in England on this album, but before not much. And then you were kind of talking about um, them dating back to kind of the, the British glam rock era mm-hmm. and America, you know, like this song is full of references to, you know, yep. that early seventies kind of stuff. They're just, it's one of the, it's a name dropping song where a band just like lists off various refer- references and influences they have, basically. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, Joel, it's pretty charming. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. I just like, you know, I just, I, I thought about that year and I, just, I was just going to like see how many like song titles and names I could work into it. Like that was the only thought. <laughs> so like, it was no nothing more than what you just said. Like he was, I just thought it sounded cool to say it's a bunch of like a band playlist names. of stuff to check yeah, yeah. out. Maybe yeah, if you're yeah. a young person who doesn't know. See, there's where they're using that harmonizer, I think, to kind of pitch down vocals. It's wild because I tend to hate processed vocals, and I like these fine. Like, that that's very yeah. rare. Also, I think they would stack, like, they would literally stack, like, 20 vocals, you know, like, different yeah. takes on top of each other. And just, like, so that's why I kind of, like, I'm a big, like, Beach Boys fan. And, like, yep. there's a certain element to that, just that obsessive studio kind of thing. And, well, and like mm-hmm. you said, like, they... they like they put they put more vocal emphasis, I think, than most of these bands did. They really care about their vocals, yeah. But like, just just generally though, like when I hear vocals that are hyper processed, very often for me that's like an instant turn off. And for, but these guys do such a good job of it because the talent is clear underneath it. I mean, I mean on the other hand, I mean like Cher is certainly a great singer, and I hate her voice through a vocoder. Like, and I know she has real talent, so it isn't just that to me. So I don't know. There's something about the way they're producing them here that works for me. It's un- yeah, and it's I mean, unusual it's, that it does. It, it's just super distinctive, you know? Like, you know it when you hear it. In the same way the Beach Boys harmonies are very distinctive. I love the vocal stack they have for the group. It's like... What's interesting, too, is like one of the reasons why the Beach Boys blend as well is because like people say that a lot of times that people sound have similar vocal tone to their family members. Um, these guys aren't brothers, so they, they, st- they still kind of have that, even though they're not related. Yeah. Yeah, we did an earlier episode of uh, um, Surf's Up. Yeah. Remember that one, Jason? That was a really good episode. Surf's Up. Yeah, that was some. Um, uh, it was Todd Hansen on that was, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I ended up picking up that record later on at, a, at an estate sale. What a oh, stunner. Nice. And I get bummed every time I listen to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> it's just melancholy, yes. And so here they're doing like almost kind of hip hop style, like, you know. I think that's God of War backwards, like a piece of God of War. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they, like, I guess the guy was triggering these all live with like pads and stuff. But like this right here is like completely alien to the genre is, you know, like no one yeah. else is doing stuff like this. No, there's like one song on the album where I felt like, which is Woman, the opener. Woman, I like my notes literally say Woman equals Dokken. Uh Totally <laughs> yeah. as a killer solo. Um, and it's like a transformative solo that really changes the song. But that is the only song on the album that is heavy, like, at all. Yeah, I wonder if they led with that to, like, not turn off, like, their older fans or something. Maybe. It's a good song. I mean, yeah. I like it. Well, we could listen to it. Let's listen to it. Hi. We're talking about it. Oh, but, you know, interestingly, though, like, yeah, Rocket is long. They have a lot of longer songs on this. Yeah. But even this has a lot of kind of clean guitar stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely can hear some of like White Lion in it as well, you know? Yeah. And that kind of synth, there's a wah, wah, wah kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's kind of interesting. <laughs> Redoing the Book of Genesis here with Def Leppard. This was this song was the only solo that I actually wrote down like, ooh, I like the solo on this. I didn't really write about the solos on anything else, per se. Yeah, like I said, they almost feel more just like musical breaks rather than like mm. solos, per se, like in the way that I think of like a solo, you know? You know, this is all rate. This is all like this is one of the things. I think one of the problems about people talking about certain things as being hair metal, I think it gives people a reason to like not even consider it. And by the same token, like this is some of the most accessible music that has ever been created. Like, like who's well, not who, sure. who's not gonna like this? You know, um, it's incredibly skillful. So even if you're the kind of person who's like everybody has to be really good at their jobs in order for you to traditionally good at their jobs for you to appreciate their work. Like, okay, Def Leppard does that, you know? Oh yeah, um, for sure. And it's really, and it's like really, um, attractive and at times beautiful melodies. Uh, it, it, it is just, it just feels to me like this stuff, like, of course this was the biggest selling shit in the eighties. Of course it was. Um, yeah. I mean, even you could even bring in stuff like, I don't know, ABBA or like Max Martin or like, you know, that this like super, but just in terms of being like super, just like, yeah. Uh, super pop in a way. Yeah. You know I mean? No, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't know. I'm still trying to understand why I hate Max Martin stuff so fucking much. 
I mean, I'm um, not like a big fan, but I mean, no, I, I know, but like, like we all know what it means. The... But no, but, but my, my problem with Max Martin is why I don't like anything now. <laughs> He's all over fucking everything. Um, you know, 80s pop music. There's tons of pop music from the 80s I love, but for some reason, not now because of the, the Max Martin factor. I don't know. Um, I think the guitar solo is coming up here. Here we go. Yeah, this is really good melodically. Yeah, that's really good. That's a great solo. And also, but it's also like he's he's definitely not like I mean, these guys can play like way faster than that. You know what of I mean? Course. Like he's he's very much like um making sure it's like a, a melodic thing that mm-hmm. you remember. What I like about that solo, I mean, is it it brings the song to a different place. Mm-hmm. It it like it changes it up, but it doesn't feel like it's just tacked on or whatever. Um and that that's not a given, you know. Definitely. Well, we've been can't avoid it forever. We it's time to tackle the the beast. Oh. Pour some sugar on me. Yeah. This is like, you know. <laughs> hey, hey. Oh. There's a real exaggerated like that, that harmonizer vocal. So what do you what do you like this song? No, I actively dislike okay. it. And okay, I hit skip yeah, I'm on not, it. it's not it's not one of my favorites. Well, it's important to talk like about. It's a huge important not, song. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's important. And I didn't like it then either. Um, <laughs> the lyrics on this are so bad. Well, I I like bad lyrics sometimes. Like some lyrics are so dumb they're good. Like I'm a kiss yeah. fan. I got sure, nothing sure. against dumb music. Dumb music yeah, can be yeah, genius. Yeah. There is something of like that's like sort of like school chant soccer chant foot, football you know sorry football chant um yep. childhood word game kind of rhyming game thing happening yep. yeah and in, in the that documentary uh it's a classic thing where like the album was done and then joe elliott just like kind of had this like half-assed version of the chorus that he was hmm. just like messing around with on an acoustic guitar and like mutt lang was like what's that what's that what's that <laughs> nah, this is some dumb throwaway thing i've been doing he's like no 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 what's that and he's like i don't know and like no that's that's it that's it we we're we're delaying the album we're delaying the album and then def leppard was kind of like really we're delaying the album for this and but he was like mutt was like adamant that's so funny no and, mutt, uh, mutt, mutt has great judgment i mean yeah people love this it's, how do you feel about the song i'm not it's not my favorite you know what i mean like it it, it feels like kind of a like i mean when it's when i heard the story it kind of feels like a throwaway in a way but like I mean, the chorus is incredibly catchy, mm-hmm. and and they like they said that this just like this this record label exec from America said I've never seen because this was like the fourth single or something, right? Like, and this just kicked it up. He said like I've never seen a, an album sell more based on one song. He said like we we were like we shipped one day we shipped like four hundred and fifty thousand copies in a day for an album that had been out for like eight months. Said it was just like he'd never seen anything like it. So I mean, it worked, but it's not—it's not my favorite. I don't think it's like—it doesn't have a lot of the things I—I I like the layers on this album and, mm-hmm. and stuff. And like, this is probably like one of the least sophisticated ones, I'd say. Um, but I mean, yeah. you know, 
Then again, like the chorus is basically tattooed in your brain if you hear it like one time. Yeah. So no, this <laughs> like, is the one I remember from my childhood. Like as a kid, yeah. it wasn't like this was just everywhere. I have the most petty complaint about the song, which um, I even feel bad articulating, but I'm about to. We're, we're all friends here now, apparently. I hate the way he pronounces me. Now, to be clear, many, many, many singers pronounce me exactly like he does. And in fact, May. Okay, May, yeah. I, if I was a commercial, if I was writing songs for a lyric for a living, I would probably not use the word me at the end of any lines in order to avoid having to hear singers say meh. But um, I just really hate him singing meh. I, I just really like. Please, why did you sing "Meh"? Like, I, it's it oh. really it really irks me. I'm like, this is the sort of like I expect that kind of bullshit from like you know pop boy like pop boy bands of the '90s and aughts or whatever. Like, yeah, I want to be like Joe Elliott. You're so much better than this. You're better than this. And actually, that's the other thing about the song is we don't get much of him singing in his wonderful voice. It's so weird to me. Like, why is this is what you want? You don't want Joe Elliott singing in his beautiful voice. You want this random ass chanting. Like, he's not a hip hop artist. Like, what are you doing? Like, this is not, you know, I don't get it. um, Speaking of pronunciations, I I actually, I had never looked up the lyrics to this song, but I did. And I, like, the one time that you were talking about how they sound so American, Mm -hmm. they let their Britishness slip. And I didn't know that, like, the part we just passed where it's like, sweet to taste. And it says, saccharine. Oh, wow. Saccharine. That's how I guess how British people say saccharine instead of saccharin. Oh, wow. Uh, for like the artificial sweetener yeah, or whatever. Yeah, so like yeah. that's like the one time they like they, they let their Britishness like slip out. But I had no idea because it, it's so like gang vocals. I didn't know what it was even saying. But Yeah, no, um, yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah, that's the uh, I love I love a good gang vocal. Like this so you'd think I'd be more into it along that lines, but I think it's just as a singer, I hate meh. And I can't get right. past the man. <laughs> Should we you had mentioned the title track hysteria yeah, uh, earlier? Let's hysteria. Listen to that. This is a great, you know, this is just a super well-structured song. In some ways, it's incredibly bold to name your album after the ballad. Um, But I guess they know their audience and it's a pop audience and maybe the pop audience wants the ballad, you know. Is it also the first example of the word hysteria being used in a non-sexist context? It's possible. (laughs) Yeah. Because like, he's he gets hysteria. Yep. He's not a nervous not a nervous woman that needs to be sent to the seaside. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, this song has got that you the U two guitars or something. I don't really know U two very well, so I was kind of pulling that out of my ass a bit. But like no, that, that sounds right to you, the, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that kind of that clash or not clash. Sorry, edge um, tone mm-hmm. for sure. And then the connection there, and I only learned about this more recently, uh, is that the U two came from the Irish goth scene. So, like, them doing yeah. that kind of music is, like, it's not recorded. None of it, like, that was before they even recorded anything. But, like, they were playing with yeah. the electric prunes. Well, like, the, that's the Edge's brother is in the, the Virgin Prunes. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, the I, think the, the edges, I love them both. The edges, but, yeah, the Virgin Prunes. Yeah, the Edge's older brother was in that, I think, the main dude of that band. And so oh, they were no kind of, like, shit. they were, like, they were kind of, like, younger kids to them. And I think that might have, like, you know, I'm sure they probably let his brother open for him or something you know wow the edge but yeah no but like that yeah guys check out um um baby turn blue by virgin prunes it's really good but yeah like i i as someone who's never really been much of a u2 fan despite recognizing that bono can really fucking sing like 
knowing that they kind of came from some of that goth connection kind of gave me a different insight into their early work. Yeah. There's and also we talked about how much we... The Cure is in here, so there you go. Totally. There's also something like the on that we just heard. It's kind of like a high, like, it's almost like a controlled feedback kind of whine. It almost reminds me of like a pedal steel guitar. Mm. Um, and I think there was one song where they complained, like when he brought it to him, it might've been Love Bites where it sounded like he, like he was basically writing country songs on the side. Yes. And they were like, this is like way too country. So they like reworked it to be like their style and everything. But Well, Mutt Lang, like, when, okay, so I was recently on a podcast um, on Junk Filter where we were talking about glam metal. And one of the insights that the host, Jesse, ha- Jesse Hawkin had on it was that he's like listening to the leopard and he's like, oh, this new country comes from this. And then we Googled it and we saw like the, she saw, he saw the Shania Twain connection and it was like, oh, like it literally does. But um, yeah, like Def Leppard specifically, like that's where new country comes from. It's wild to me. Oh yeah. I think, I, th- I mean, to me, I feel like modern countries, just, like people ask where like rock like this went and I think it just like put on a cowboy hat and like, I know, I mean, I, know. I object like, to me, like, I mean, I don't know the worst of modern country music is just pop music sung with a Southern accent and about somebody's truck. Um, which is just like ridiculous. Um, but yeah, like there's something from there and here. I love bites, by the way. If you want to talk about like killing yourself on a song vocally. Yeah, we should maybe let's 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 uh, let's hear that because these songs do all kind of go on a, a bit. Love bites is, is another. And that is an example of a. Of a. Um, slow ballady song that inc- that's incredibly overplayed even that I still appreciate because it's that good yeah and even the like that synth drum like, <laughs> it, like, like it's kind of weird because the more I listen it's just like it's like a heavy metal album but it's like not at all a heavy metal album really you know in some ways I just I have to just not look at it through those lens because if I will I'll just be like Comparing it against the Judas Priest song "Love Bites," you know, sure, sure, very different thing. <laughs> it's not Judas Priest, yeah. But they opened for them. I mean, Leopard opened for Priest, you know, like. Oh yeah, I'm sure when they were younger, probably that yeah. was like a natural like fit. I guess by this point, Judas Priest would have to open for them. But the audience had differentiated enough in some oh, ways. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah. less so than you might think. I mean, I spoke to a friend of mine who's older than me and was, like, actually going to metal shows in the 80s as a teenager. And she basically said, like, you know, she was living in Jersey and going into the city to go to shows. And she'd go to Philly or New York. And she's like, we'd go to everything. She's like, I'd go to Rat and I'd go to Megadeth. And we knew the oh, difference sure. between Rat and Megadeth, but we, we liked it, you know. And she was, like, much more Team Megadeth than Team Rat. But she could still appreciate it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I never. Well, I went to. I never. I. I wouldn't have got my driver's license till the '90s. So you know what I mean. And I was. Mm-hmm. I was like two hours from anything. So mm-hmm. like, it, it's hard to express how rural the area. I grew no, up it's, in it's, was. it's it's interesting. <laughs> I grew up in a very different situation. I grew up on the metro. You know, so yeah, like, yeah. I just you could like, like do stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you know, the metro back when I was young, the DC metro closed at midnight, so I would break curfew every time because nothing was ever done in time for me to take the last train home. Um. But yeah, it's a different world of access. I mean, I don't know that I would be people that are like, wow, Ilana, I can't believe you were into like goth in like the 90s when you were just a teenager. And I'm like, I like could go to downtown and buy underground magazines and music. And like, it wasn't as hard. I mean, even though we had no internet, you know, like I could do yeah, that. Okay, and if I, yeah. was, if I was in a small town, 
I, I wouldn't have had that, that access. It was a lot easier like, to be cool when you have that, you know? Getting a straight, getting a straight article, like, issue of Rolling Stone was like a huge coup. You know what I wow. mean? Like, that's how low information it was. Yeah. And then yeah. it would be like 120 minutes started happening. That was a big deal. Um, but yeah, this is a, just a great, like, produced song as well. Um, well, I don't, we're, I know we're kind of running up on time. I feel like, is there anything else you want to hear before we wrap up? I'm, mm, um, I feel like we've covered a lot of the again. big, the big ones. Um, oh, I want to just play a second of Run Riot because I think it sounds like Just Like Heaven. Yeah, this is kind of an underrated one that I just didn't remember, but. I mean, this part doesn't sound like Just Like Heaven, but it gets there. But that's the only one I had other notes on. Here. The one that makes me laugh. <laughs> right? The one that yeah. makes me laugh, she said. Oh, yeah, it's got the beat, yeah. Yep. I opened up my eyes. <laughs> yep. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah, no, it's... You know, but it was funny. I, I This is even a couple years ago. It was this music site called The Quietest that I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out yeah. Of England, and, and they, um, they do these things where they just ask people, like, they're... I think it's their Baker's Dozen, you know, it's just like 13 albums that they like. And Joe, pa- Joe Elliott, sorry, not Joe Elliott was on it. And he literally, like, all his picks were like kind of, you know, hip, early 70s dude, like, you know, Mata Hoople, Bowie. Yeah. Well, you'd expect. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't really have any picks that were like extremely like metal, honestly. He might have had like one Zeppelin record, but yeah. It was more like, yeah, stuff like, you know, Lou, I think he had like Transformer by Lou Reed or, oh. you know things like that well he's got great taste in music you know Def Leppard just put out a glam rock album with like a T-Rex lyric reference so oh cool yeah proud of them for pulling that together Diamond Star Halo I mean oh, like, is okay. the name of the yeah, album yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, it's like it's literally awesome. a T-Rex I you know for folks also like guys if, if you like T-Rex you might like glam metal like it's one of the bigger influences on the music um, yeah I mean, and, and that's really G&R kind- covered them oh yeah I mean, GNR, the GNR covers album does a good job of pointing to their references for sure. And it's a beast of a yeah. cover of Buick McCain. Like, fuck yeah. Oh, and then, I mean, obviously then, you know, Slash stole, like, his look from the from Slider Bowen, album cover. Yeah. And he stole the hat from Retail Slut. Although Tie Me Down from Faster Pussycat says that he sold the hat to Slash. And I'm kind of inclined to believe Tie Me, actually, but... I had to make a, a, a stealing joke <laughs> in there. So, <laughs> no, this is a good song. This is this is one of the album tracks I thought was like really good, actually. Um, but, but no, thank you because like I, I don't think I've yeah, really done absolutely. a deep dive into this album until you suggested it. So it was a good excuse to do that, despite the fact I've been playing Saturday Night High and Dry over and over and over the past year. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know why I got so stuck on this for a minute there. Um, but we're great. gonna uh, we're gonna do a couple um uh. uh Patreon supporter questions. Would you? Yes. I don't know if you have time to stick around for that. I have as much time as you need. Cool, wow. cool. We rarely hear that, well, so I really, really? appreciate we'll hearing. We'll try that. to yeah. not tax your time oh, too much. I'm a, I'm a podcast host, so I get it. I'm also a podcast <laughs> host who doesn't not have any like children or like any other. Wow. Reason. I don't have to Free wake up early. Bird. Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> well, we love to hear it. Uh, as mentioned, excuse me, at Matt as oh Jesus, you can tell that I'm a podcast host too. As Matt mentioned. 
Uh, we are supported by a community of Patreon supporters. Um, and dear listener, uh, you too can uh, suggest songs and ask questions of our guests uh, at patreon.com slash minmax. We put up a post every time before we have a guest on. And you can ask them questions. You can suggest songs for them to listen to, all those good, fun things. And everything that you suggest goes on to a Spotify playlist that you can find in the show notes. Uh, all of songs that our community members have suggested in the past. There's, I don't know, dozens of hours of music there, all kinds of genres and all ages and and, uh, and generations. So check it out. Go to patreon.com slash minmax, M-I-N-N-M-A-X. It's a pun on Minnesota uh, and some video game term or some bullshit that Ben Hansen likes. I don't know. Um, but our first question of the evening comes from John Jensen, a supporter, uh, who asks, uh, what would you choose as starting points, entry points for what we're, we've been calling hair metal in this episode? Um, now, mm -hmm. they mentioned like, is are these two albums we've discussed good entry points? What would you recommend, Ilana? Well, they're good entry points in the sense that I think these are two really accessible, excellent albums. However, I don't think they're particularly typical of the genre. Uh, and I think if you, so if you're looking for an album, if you're looking, well, if you're looking for an album that I think really is like, this is a good example of what this genre like is really all about. Truly mm -hmm. one of the undersung, but far more recognized in their own day, um, examples of this would be Rat. And I think the Rat album, Invasion of Your Pri Invasion of Your Privacy, would be a great mm. one to check out. Um, so I, I also made a playlist uh, for Peacemaker that I put out that was um, of songs that are from the genre that you might not have heard a million times, or and that or that weren't on the show. Uh, and I, I definitely, I definitely endorse my own playlist. I'm, I'll be glad to, to share the link around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, please do. But you know, I think <sighs> like I, I think like. Um, if you want more on like the heavier side of it, you know, Tooth and Nail or Under Lock and Key by Dawkins is really great. It's definitely uh, significantly heavier than some of the other stuff, um, but still, I think like approximate enough. And of course, Motley Crue, like they're huge for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons is they're like really fucking great. Um, I find a lot of people who insist that hair metal all sucks will make an exception for specifically shout at the devil. Um, nice. But I think overall... Are you going to say the first album? Because that's the best one. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. The first album is the best album, except there are a few moments on it where Vince's vocals are so bad that it like hurts me. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a punk album, like almost because it's like they can not play that well at that point. Yeah, it's exactly. Awesome. But Livewire... I, I kind of like the rickety... Is, but, yeah, yeah. the ricketiness is appealing. Livewire is fucking great. Public Enemy number one is great. Um, Take Me to the Top is great. But like, there's definitely moments where you're just like, oh my God, please somebody give... Watching Motley Crue over time is learning a band how to l figure out how to work around their not that excellent singer. And to be clear, I mean, Vince Neil also has amazing moments. I was watching him do um, live... Uh, not live us. The, the Us show like what was it 85 like huge stadium show and there were there was a moment um there are a few moments where i literally said wow out loud because he did such a good job nailing something live <laughs> which is not not easy but um but i think overall girls 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 is actually the stronger album but i think every single of the classic every single one of the classic motley crew albums is like very very listenable yeah. um no that yeah girls girls is good for sure yeah um you know if you're interested in kind of the more like intersection with new wavy sounds um the first kicks album has got some really cool stuff going on as much as the band it's like so new wave that the band tries to, to insist that it's not really their sound um hmm. which always makes me sad when bands feel the need to like say that about themselves but whatever right. 
Um, but yeah, you know, and if you're, and if you want to go more in the sort of like Rolling Stones, um, and like country, like country rock sort of jangly thing, Faster Pussycat are really great. Um, but yeah, I got, I got that playlist and I I think it's a great, I I made it for the purposes of answering the question that, you know, you, you proposed here. Yeah. Well, John question asker, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Um, and, uh, and of course all those recommendations that Ilana has given Matt, do you have any, uh, quick hit, like get started Um, with this? I mean, I don't know if this is an entry point, but I'm just going to like, I discovered this somehow I'd read this book, nothing but a good time, the oral history of hair metal, which might be of interest to people. It's pretty fun read. Um, and I was just going down a YouTube rabbit hole and there's this, uh, and I don't think they were big. It's a band called Vane, and they had an hmm. album called No Respect. And it's kind of surprisingly awesome. Um, Ilana, you might notice some like almost Hanoi rocks kind of stuff going oh, on in cool. it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just discovered it on YouTube and it's like, I kind of think it's awesome. So that's just Ooh, I love their look. Rap. I just looked them I, I up. Wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's like a staple of the genre, but I, I think you answered the question fine. So I'm just going to throw that out there. It's like a sleeper hair metal record. That's the thing. I love the fact that there's sleeper hair metal record. You know what I mean? Like there's so much, every band in the world, when the when the hair metal boom happened, every band in the world got signed. And some of them are great and some of them weren't, you know, and some of them were made in the studio. Um, I mean, I the song... Specifically, the song "Look What the Cat Dragged In" by Poison is an excellent Motley Crue song, essentially. Um, but like, there there is just a fucking ton of material in there, you know? Right? Yeah, absolutely. So right. many of them. It's a rich vein, no pun intended. Womp, womp, um, womp. Yeah, right. I know. Uh, I had to bring the mood down somehow. Uh, Caitlin okay. says that she was very excited for this episode and wanted to know if that you had to choose an '80s hair metal band as your single favorite. And Ilana, I get. I get the feeling you're going to have a hard time maybe answering this, given just yeah. the breadth of answers you've already given. But no. if you had to nail it down to one, and I will be the content guy and say, you must nail it down to one. Is there one you could call your favorite? Well, if you're going to make me nail it down to one, then I'm <laughs> going to pull guest privilege and say Guns N' Roses. And that's Hell the yeah. shit. Because <laughs> the, the only reason why people like don't consider Guns N' Roses hair metal is because Guns N' Roses is has continued to be critically recognized throughout time basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, obviously they recorded, they, they recorded with a much rougher sound in the studio. Um, like there are, there are stylistic differences. Uh, right. Although the space between them and Motley Crue is not that huge, but right. um, yeah, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction is one of the flawless albums of the world. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to, yeah. if you're going to make me do it, I'm going to say Guns N' Roses. I appreciate yeah, it. you stole my answer, but it's just like, it's just true. <laughs> I remember like, you know, like my, my friend Dan, we were probably like, 12 or something and he had you know he had like one of those young uncles named brett who had like a camaro and stuff and he yeah. you know like, like he was like he was like his uncle but he was like 19 okay and he, i remember him playing his appetite for destruction it was like whoa like <laughs> this is, it just felt it was it, like after that everything else seemed kind of lame lame to me and i started getting more into metallic and other stuff like that but yeah i, I don't know i can't really i mean to me they're just so like heads and tails above the yeah. other ones so uh, i agree you gotta love those uh gateway albums from the particular pusherman of your time i will say that my music tastes changed when i don't know it might be embarrassing um my cousin brought me fallout boys from under the cork tree 
Uh, that was my entry point into music that wasn't gospel or contemporary Christian music. So, oh hey, wow, it in a way. it helped in a way. Well, yeah, absolutely. I guess I had the Doobie Brothers by that point, and I've, yeah. I've maintained my love of them. <laughs> Jason, no one can, no one can take that not, ever from not me. Loving I, the Doobie I saw Brothers them more live than... with Michael McDonald this year. <laughs> I can die happy. Um, ben Hansen of MinMax, the head honcho himself, uh, wants to ask a pretty simple question, but one that I don't think about very often. Do you prefer songs that have a concrete ending or songs that kind of trail off, fade out, like they're going forever somewhere in the distance? Elon, yeah. do you have a preference? Do you ever think about that? Yeah. So actually, that was an interesting question when I saw that. I um, I feel really strongly that it's going to just have to be specific to what they're composing. Like when mm. I think about some of my favorite outros, it is stuff that kind of continues into the distance. Like from the kinks, I can say like, oh, ending on a bass solo, like at the end of like, there's a few kink songs that do that in ways that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't have, I don't have, I, I really can't give a rule on that. Like, right. Th- yeah, I'm sorry. It's I right wish I had a better answer. No, it's, it, it, it's fine. You already you already nailed yourself down to one favorite hair metal artist, which I did not think <laughs> I'd be able to do, even though I promised myself I would try. Uh, Matt, do you have a preference between that? Do you like the hard uh, on? Uh, yeah, this is more of a remnant of price stuff, like more college and 20s, you know, like Fugazi, Jawbox, so kind of herky-jerky. Like, I, I, love the, I love hard outs so much. Mm-hmm. Like, I love a hard out and – um. So I'll go with that. But it fades can be good in you know certain contexts. But I just yeah. some about it's a you know kind of like surprise ending thing that I just, I love that. Yeah, I think the more hardcore the music is, the better I like the hard out. But then if it's like mm. classic rock or like the band or something, I could just listen to them do when I paint my masterpiece for like six That's whole true. minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just they both fading. have their place, maybe. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, we talked about this one before we started, but Bob Buell. Uh, sorry, actually going by Lord Bob Buell Esquire uh, on wow. a screen name. He got promoted a, a couple of times since last time I heard from him. But uh, Bob wants to know what is on your personal Mount Rushmore of iconic album art, and I will say this transcends genre, it transcends generation, uh, just all timers for you, Ilana. I'll start with you again. Yeah, I um actually, can you not start with me? I'll t- I'd like to the added minute. <laughs> sure, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'm sure that while you're deciding, uh, Matt will find something on the menu that he enjoys. Sure. And by the time that he's um, finished, we can come back no, to you. No, uh, I would say, um, I would say Bob Dylan bringing it all back home. Mm, um, like him and, good entry. You know, walking on the, the street, uh, public enemy takes a nation of million soldiers back. Um, I mean, this is kind of clear, but joy division, unknown pleasures, um, mm-hmm. is like just Peter, Peter Seville. Um, those are some that come to mind. I mean, there's tons. Um, no, but of course, there's tons I can't think of any. But, right, right. Um, but uh, um, oh, um, uh, I, I really like a lot, of, a lot of the Black Flag album covers, like My War. Um, pretty much all the Black Flag covers with the Raymond Pettibone art. Mm-hmm. Um, that artist I really like. Um, yeah. There's tons. I mean, there's tons I could go on, but yeah, yeah those yeah. are some that come to mind. Um, I would say if you have gotten the chance, or if you're in front of a computer. Uh, listener and I guess uh, host and guest here, look up the album Rubicon by the album, or excuse me, by the artist Rubicon, 1970s, like sort of, I don't know, yeah. r- broadly rock. Uh, that fucking album art, it's like a minotaur behind a smiling shield with like a lightning sword or some shit. I bought that at a thrift store exclusively because of how it looked. And then there's <laughs> this rocking ass single on it called I'm Going to Take Care of Everything. Such a good song. Anyway, um, that is on my personal Rushmore uh, and it's just because it looks so fucking rad. <laughs> that reminds me of some of the, actually another, I don't even love this band, but Molly Hatchett had Frank Franzetta do this like oh, fantasy shit, artwork. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's like, a that's shorthand. Like, 
Yeah. That, that like that's 70s kind of fantasy, like mm-hmm. side of a custom van kind of airbrush stuff. Oh, Jello. yeah, man. Oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, did that shake anything loose for you, Ilana? Oh, or yeah, should we sorry, keep going? totally. Um, <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's me already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would definitely have to say <laughs> the, the Hawk, Hawkwind has a lot of great album covers, but certainly in oh, Space yeah. Ritual, which is their live album, um, has really fabulous psychedelic art. Um, featuring their the band's official live interpreting interpretive dancer, uh, who is an Ooh. official member of the band. God bless her. Um, with like some wild cats and some like just trippy as fuck. I my list is gonna would be like a lot of psychedelic albums and stuff, but you know also yeah, stuff yeah. like um you know yes has some really fabulous prog rock is gonna have it you know oh yeah Hawkwind is, Hawkwind is space rock so it's living in between prog and psychedelic but um mm-hmm. like uh, a yes album like uh, yes songs or yesterdays those are always great visuals another Hawkwind album like um uh, um insert in search of space which is like a really crazy logo. Bowie always does great. Lo- I mean, I, I think I like albums with weird, complicated symbols on them where you're not quite sure if this is supposed to be a hidden satanic reference to something or not. Hmm. Like even looking back at an early Bowie album, like the man who sold the world, like you look at that cover and there's like tarot cards. You're like, there's, there's some Kabbalah shit going on in there somewhere. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure. Um, but you know, like uh, Aladdin sane, like yeah. so many Bowie albums have really amazing. Yeah. Station, station. That's, yeah, station, that's station a great one. A great cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and then I, but I would be remiss to not like include like just straight up like Odyssey and Oracle psychedelic visuals, yeah. um, creamed Israeli gears. You know, when I was, <laughs> I didn't even think about this. When I was two, my mom says when I was two, I started refusing to nap because <laughs> I didn't want to miss anything, and so my mom's <laughs> solution to getting me to relax while I refuse to nap. Um, and to be clear, folks, you're supposed to, to nap until you're like four or something like that. In <laughs> yeah. order to get me to like get those last two years of naps in, they would just put on Sergeant Pepper's and I would stare at the album art, like sitting cross legged on the floor, stare at the album art of Sergeant Pepper's for like hours. Whoa. So I guess I'm like literally raised of like psychedelic visuals. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that that's whole school is like a great, you know, that kind of, that era is great. Was Satanic it? Majesty's Request. Uh-huh. I mean, that even if that album wasn't, didn't have that kind of like lentographic cover, that would still be like the Rolling Stones dressed in their Ren Faire outfits. Like, come mm-hmm. on, that shit's great. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. staring for so long at Sgt. Pepper, uh, did it like burn into your memory? Do you think that oh, you yeah. could- so, so you've probably gone through the exercise. I guess how long was it before you started to realize all the like character references and well, I like, didn't know any record references. I was this very small you, child, you so the two, Beatles right. taught me everything I knew. So wow. anything I knew it was because I learned it from the Beatles. Like as a small child, like that was my main cultural touch point. I mean, an interesting result of my childhood overindulgence in Sgt. Pepper's is that I literally never listened to Sgt. Pepper's ever. Um, because it, it is in my body and it is not necessary for me to ever listen to it. Um, but like, I, 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 like the Beatles are like, have comprised my physical form. And so I don't actually need to play them very often. Um, it's kind (laughs) of a a weird thing. I like that insinuation that you're just fully saturated with it. Like no more, please. We're we're good. Yeah. I mean, like, I I was not saying I don't have Beatles songs on playlists I make and stuff, but I literally never listen to Sgt. Pepper's. That's wild. That is wild. Uh, 
Our next question comes from Jason Wojnar, last question actually of the night, uh, who asks a question that I hope doesn't veer toward the negative, maybe more toward the insightful or introspective, Mm -hmm. but asks, what's a band or album that you used to like that you genuinely do not like anymore for any particular reason? um, It's so funny because as I've gotten older, my musical taste has become more and more expansive. There's all kinds of things Mm -hmm. that I like now that I would have been absolutely embarrassed to admit that I liked when I was younger, but also didn't like. Like I wasn't just claiming Mm -hmm. not to like. Van Halen when I was younger, I, I didn't like them. And now I love mm-hmm. them. Um, so for me, it mostly works in that direction and not in the other. Um, so I, I will say that there are albums that I don't listen to anymore because they are sad in ways that I don't find useful. Like I'd never oh, play Leonard yeah. Cohen. Like I don't need that. Like I don't need to think about her. Right. You know, I have those, but it doesn't mean I don't think Leonard Cohen is a genius, you know? Right. Um, I have a very low threshold for sad music, but I don't really have any music that I liked that I disavow. Hmm. Um, I will, I can, admit, I, I have, and I, and I, and I reject the notion of like guilty pleasures when it comes to music, even as a mm-hmm. thing. Um, so like really the closest thing I can say to that is ironically what I just said, which is that I don't need to listen to Sergeant Peppers ever again, because hmm. It yeah. is sufficed <clears throat> every molecule of my body, mm, but that doesn't yeah, mean I don't yeah. like like it. I just don't need to. Right. Um, yeah. No, I feel it. I mean, I'd say there's things that like I just can't get anything more out of it. Like like maybe like Doolittle by the Pixies, or some replacement stuff. There's other stuff I feel like like I was a big fan of Eminem when he first came out, and I just mm. can't really get in that headspace anymore, which is probably a good thing for, for the best as a, as yeah. a person. Uh, <laughs> I just, I can't listen to that shit. You know, I just can't listen to it. Um, and then there's, yeah, I, I think sometimes I, I, you just feel like you've like kind of, you know, there's one band that's interesting. It was, I think for a, like a couple of years might've been my favorite band around the time of the soft bulletin it was like the flaming lips. Oh yeah. And, and now they just drive me up the fucking wall and I don't know what happened. Hmm. It's really an odd thing, but did that's they, the only one I can really think I like soured on in some yeah. way. Did they change how they sound significantly no, or not is it just, really. like, just, not just you like, anymore? They just, I don't know what, what seemed quirky became sort of like overly like twee and kind of like put on to me in some way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just can't get back to it. I don't know what happened. And I love that up so much, but, huh. but I, well, mostly I think it's more like what you were saying, Elon is just like certain things. I just like, I listen to so much. It's like, I feel like I'm internalized him in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that was the spirit of the question. Yeah. Oh, you know what? The closest I can come to that is I went through a period of time where I was really into the dead when I was like 13 and 14. And I actually got to see them live a couple of times, which, you know, I'm sort mm. of of the last generation of people who could even do that. Um, I didn't listen to the, de- I, and I, I stopped listening to them for like an extremely long period of time uh, because I was goth. <laughs> And then um, when I got back, when I suddenly got into Prague as an adult, I had this day where I woke up in the morning and I suddenly heard the entirety of like New Potato Caboose by The Grateful Dead in my head. And this was, you know, I went and I put it on because it's like on the fucking internet. This is like, you know, several years ago. And every single lyric still lived in my head, even though the lyrics are completely nonsensical and purely psychedelic. And I was just like, oh shit. And so I started listening to... um, a couple of their specific dead songs uh, and albums again, kind of almost out of nowhere. And in that I would periodically try to listen to other stuff. And it was like, Oh, I, and, and I really loved 
you know, the 60s and 70s dead, basically, when I was a young person, like 13, mm-hmm. 14, like I said, and listening to them later, I was like, oh my God, none of those men can sing. Um, they really can't. And, <laughs> Ooh, that's and like, rough. Yeah, they really it's rough. can't. And so it was like, I guess if I just sing over it, then I don't have to hear them and that will be better. Um, and I, so I, <laughs> I don't, I feel like, you know, actually the Grateful Dead is how I got into country music at all in the first place. And so now that I like actually know Dolly Parton and Loretta Lynn, I don't need to listen to Working Man's Dead because I know what they're like drawing from and mm. I can get it from artists who can sing. Um, but uh, there's still value in some of those songs anyway. Uh, and right, right. Uh, uh, and like, and like, I can still enjoy like some of the shit on the on um, Anthem of the Sun, apparently. And it really did come out of nowhere. I was like, and that wasn't even an album I particularly liked when I was into the dead. I was like, where did this come from? So that's that's huh. about as close as I can get to it. Is Elana is no longer a deadhead, and yet Elana does appreciate the dead in certain <laughs> things in certain narrow circumstances. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about as close as you need to get to disliking something you used to like. You know, I don't know that there's a whole lot of value in that. Like you said, there's uh, your, I mean, my, I know that my musical tastes have only expanded since then. There's stuff that I like am still embarrassed to have liked back in the past, but it's not like I don't like, I avoid it specifically anymore, I guess. Like I I consider myself more open to anything or to everything than I ever was. Um, So no, it's a good perspective to have. Uh, The last thing that I have on my docket and it's a little annoying plug at the end here is we also allow our uh, supporters who get to ask questions and stuff to suggest songs that we'll play on the outro. Um, Bob Buell, uh, Lord Bob Buell Esquire himself, again, suggested the song uh, Archie Marry Me by Always. And I know that this was an incredibly overplayed song, uh, 2014, 15, whenever that was, when I first heard it, obviously just dominated college radio airwaves. But I just recently got to see them live and unapologetically, they kind of rock now. They've got a new album that's that's pretty good. Um, so I'm going to uh, call that our outro song. But uh, before I cue that up uh, in post, I'm going to let Matt do our outro and uh, thank our guest once more. Well, Ilana, thanks so much for being a, a part of the show. We really appreciate your time. And, and this has been a super fun discussion. And it's kind of, it, it's been, I don't know, just cool to cover a genre that we haven't like really thought that deeply about on the show. And it's been really fun. Um, what do you have coming up? What are some of the projects you have? Well, right um, my podcast, Graphic Policy Radio, I kind of think about it as existing at the intersection of comics and geek adjacent culture and social change, like leftist political movements queer fairy and all that. So if you're someone who reads comics, you know, I interview comics writers, artists, and creators, but I also host roundtable conversations where the kind of place where like, a, you know, Spencer Ackerman, like, and Jamel Bowie will come on to talk about Peacemaker and like organizers from different hmm. political groups. Um, we'll talk about like, I, for, I'm working on our episode right now. That'll be about Andor, um, one of my guests was like a refuse Nick from the first Antifada. Like, you know, so we get people from well, like different kind of political and pop culture spaces to talk about nerd related media. Um, and as part of that, I also have a side podcast, right? Which is deep space dive. And you'll find that also under graphic policy radio um, on the music front. I have an article coming up in them.us about Judas priest. Uh, I'm because I am excited to be able to talk about them getting inaugurated into the rock and roll house of whatever. Finally, and, um, you know, awesome. it's, I think it's important for people to understand them as queer music. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I, just a great so band. Good. Just a Judas, great band. Judas great Priest is so yeah, good. Really. Like nobody really. sounds like Rob Halford. Yep. Many have tried 
and they cannot they cannot achieve but yeah i fucking love pretty so that piece that piece is coming up um and if you want to hear me talk more about um glam rock i'm sorry glam metal and associated art you know check out my episode of junk filter podcast about hair metal um and i was also um i wrote a piece about david lee roth as camp that i'm very proud of it's on my medium site it was on Hmm. march xness i'll throw a link in there um, and I got to speak more about David Lee Roth on the Is It Camp podcast, where I got to make the case that David Lee Roth is indeed camp um, and and fabulous. <laughs> uh, and I, I think he'd agree, too. It's very clear that he knows what he's doing. Oh, like God, he knows yeah. he's camp. I don't, I don't think that's a hard case. He's to there. At all. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, yeah. He, he needs an amazing artist. Um, so, yeah, those are and my, and my, my and the place you can always find me a little too much is at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn on Twitter. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn on Twitter check all that out um and and again thanks so much for your time this is a super fun discussion um if you enjoyed what you heard you can support us at patreon.com slash minmax m-i-n-n-m-a-x and uh and they are also doing a bunch of great video game content and related nerd culture stuff as well uh we thank you for listening as always and we will see you in a couple weeks Bye.